This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Hey, Rotoviz Radio listener. This is Curtis Patrick from the Dynasty Command Center podcast, and I've got a special deal for you today. Go to rotoviz.com. Click the subscribe button, put the 12-month subscription in your cart, and use promo code RVRADIO2021. That's RVRADIO2021. And you're going to save 10%. Taking advantage of this deal, getting your hands on what's included in the package, is the best way to enhance your performance this year. So go to rotoviz.com and subscribe now. Hey everyone, before we get started, I just want to take a moment to tell you about Blue Wire Hustle, a brand new program where you can host your own podcast here at Blue Wire. Hustle is created to give everyone the opportunity to take your podcast to the next level, or if you want to host a podcast and just don't know where to start, Hustle is the perfect place for you. As part of the program, you'll receive personal cover art, Q&As with Blue Wire's top podcasters, access to the community Discord, an e-learning course full of tips and tricks, and on top of all of that, will help get your show pushed to Apple, Spotify, Google, Stitcher, and all other listening platforms. And the best part is, you can get all this for only $15 a month, the same rate as any other hosting site would charge you just for the initial setup. So whether you're starting from scratch or you have an existing show that you're wanting to grow hustle is an open door to leveling up your sports podcasting experience acceptance into the program is limited so get your application in today to apply go to bwhustle.com forward slash join check out the description box in this episode for more information but that's bwhustle.com slash join Welcome into the Fantasy Football Mailbag, a Rotoviz podcast. Welcome back to the 2021 season. We, as always, are dedicated to answering all of those fantasy football questions. I'm your host, Mike Randall. You can follow me on Twitter at RandallRand. And today, folks, one of my longstanding friends, someone I've known since he began in this industry, and now he's grown to killing it, Connor Allen. He's the lead betting analyst at 4 for 4 Football podcast. He has it, Ryan Noonan. Move the line NFL is fantastic. Great guy, knows fantasy football, knows betting content, can make you a lot of money both in fantasy and in gambling. Follow him on Twitter at Connor Allen NFL. Connor, great to have you here on the mailbag to kick off the 2021 season. Yeah, Mike, I've known you for a long time, man. It, it is crazy how long we've been uh, connected, and I, I really appreciate you, appreciate you having me on here. 
You know, I remember, Connor, I was just starting out. I was getting, I was begging Colm Kelly to let me help him with Rotoviz editing. And I remember following you and you had the cool site, the Fantasy Football Matrix, I think it was called. <laughs> and I remember seeing this guy, I didn't know what you look like. I'm like, this guy knows his stuff. Everything you put out, I was liking and following on Twitter. And now, of course, you're killing it across the board, man. So just talk about how you got started in the industry and how you're at the point today where you're doing so much great stuff for 4 for 4 and that Moving the Line podcast. Uh, it's so funny. You're, you're one of the few who remember. Yeah, I, so I actually started that in college. Uh, I kind of just realized that I liked fantasy sports and football a lot more than everyone else around me. Uh, but, you know, I was kind of too scared to put my face out there because I was like, you know, 19. And I was like, you know what, I'm just going to like hide behind this little, you know, pseudonym and make a site and just kind of go for it. But um, yeah, I, so I got to this point, basically just was grinding that. Uh, I submitted a guest article to Warren Sharp for his like book, the yearly book. Um, for his contest when I was a senior in college, uh, it ended up winning and I got very lucky. Yes, that's right. Yeah. That's right. I forgot that. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes. And so that's, I mean, that's kind of how it, you know, my trajectory was up from there. And obviously that was some good exposure and got, you know, mentioned to some people at Roto World, um, you know, kind of, you know, went there, learned a lot, uh, learned how to write a lot better, you know, uh, through the ups and downs there. But, you know, mainly my, um, you know, passion is something that I think that my niche turned out to be was, uh, you know, betting. And that's something that I started writing a player prop column at the, you know, now defunct company, the Quant Edge, uh, a few years ago. And since then, you know, I've been really hitting my player prop column hard and, uh, four for four ended up taking a chance on me and Noonan, you know, launching our betting vertical last year. And it's kind of where we're at now. And I'm excited for this year. I think it's going to be a great season. And with all these states legalizing sports betting, I'm telling you, this is the great, the best time to get in. If you're a fantasy player, if you do projections, you are smarter than the sports books. You can beat this. You can make money. I totally agree. I followed you for so long, man. And I do betting stuff for Action Network as well. But I've definitely become a better wagerer following your stuff and learning. You have definitely kept me from going on tilt on many occasions. You got to stick <laughs> to the analytics. You have to trust the process. Those, you know, sort of outliers are going to happen. But just a great mind here for fantasy as well. So I'm thrilled to have you on. And Connor, I'm not going to bury the lead anymore. Uh, when this drops, it will be on Friday this week. We're recording it here on Tuesday, June 1st. So by the time we get to June 4th, this question may be answered. Tell me, where's Julio Jones going? Uh, this is tough. So I'll say that I think he's going to New England. Uh, but the people who I talk to that are most plugged in are saying a few different things. You know, they've narrowed it down to four options. They think and these are pretty widely reported at this point. But Patriots, Chargers, Rams, Titans. Um, my money's on the Patriots. But I would say that it is very, very likely to be one of those four teams. If Julio Jones goes to Tennessee, and look, if he goes there, it proves that social media works. A.J. Brown has a video. Derrick Henry, they all want him to come there. What do you think that would do for Ryan Tannehill? Because, of course, people were very hesitant to buy into Tannehill when he goes to Tennessee. He's backing up Mariota. Then he gets the job, and now he's been uber-efficient, right, in a run-heavy offense. How do you think that would affect Ryan Tannehill in fantasy? I mean, I feel like he would catapult up. No, Connor, if, if Julio Jones and A.J. Brown are your wide receivers? Yeah, I mean, if he's not efficient, I think that there's something wrong uh, at that point. I mean, you're throwing to two guys who are just incredible talents. Uh, and also with their defense probably taking a little bit of a step back, I think we're going to see a little bit of extra volume uh, from this Titans passing offense. If you have Julio Jones and A.J. Brown, I think that that's definitely not a bad thing. Ryan Tannehill is an intriguing pick if that happens. Yeah, and I am work on the Rotoviz projection machine we have here where you do the projections for each team. 
and I have been on team Anthony Ferkser. But if Julio Jones goes there, Connor, I, I think my Anthony Ferkser truther status is going to come down a little bit. We'll see. It, it sounds like he's going to be dealt sometime this week. Who knows? But I think I guess what you're saying is Atlanta is out of the picture. It looks like he is going to be traded. Yeah, I would say that's almost a certainty, a certainty at this point. There's some other stuff that, and different ways that you can, I think, take advantage of that still in, in betting markets and in, in fantasy right now. Well, at this point last year, and I'm so glad it looks like COVID is starting to get in the rearview mirror, we weren't even sure if we were going to have a season. But we had Christian McCaffrey, Saquon Barkley were sort of the clear number one and number two in fantasy. This year, Connor, I feel like it's wide open. Uh, McCaffrey's still in front. Not as huge of, of a lead because it's what have you done for me lately, right? He was injured last year, so all of a sudden we forget how dominant it was in 2019. Dalvin Cook is an issue, of course, in Minnesota, uber-productive. Barkley's back, but now they said they're going to slowly sort of implement him and, and work him back in. Alvin Kamara's coming off that six TD performance, and I will tell you this. I was in the flex leagues with Jake Seeley, Connor. I had an undefeated season there going into the very last week against Jody Smith, and I ran into Kamara. I lost an undefeated <laughs> flex league season because of Alvin Kamara. So certainly he's in play. Derrick Henry, some people going Travis Kelsey. You can't win your league with those first few picks, but you can lose it. So talk about those top few picks in PPR leagues, and how do you handicap it there among a lot of great choices? Yeah, so CMC is still number one for me. Um, Barkley and Kamara are pretty tough because, you know, with like as you said, Barkley is now coming off of an injury. The the reports are basically that he's going to be eased back in. And in the first month or so of football, you're not really looking to spend a first-round pick on a guy who's, you know, might not have his full workload. But the thing is, I mean, your fantasy football league is not one in the first month. It's one in the playoffs. And so I think that depending on the leagues that you're in, uh, depending on like how big of a league it is, and if you're trying to take more risk, you know, i.e. like a 10-man friends league versus a uh, the FFPC main event, uh, you know, you're obviously going to take varying uh, strategies with how much risk you're willing to take. So I think that obviously depends on what kind of league you're playing. But for me, I, I'm willing to drop Barkley down a little bit here, and as well as Camaro, you know, with if Taysom Hill starts, I mean, Camaro legit wasn't even catching the ball. Um, and that's pretty consistent what we've seen out of most running quarterbacks, not really throwing to the running back. Can you explain something to me? I have been on this on social media. Sean Payton put Taysom Hill in last year in basically a Super Bowl winning team. He thought he had a team that could get to the Super Bowl and win it. So in that moment when Breeze got hurt, he went to Taysom Hill. I understand the process for Jameis Winston, but I do not think, no matter what the beat reporters say, you can think you're going to start Jameis Winston, but am I wrong? Like, he starts throwing a couple picks. Taysom Hill's going to get in there in two seconds. Oh, yeah. I mean, the leash is uh, very, very short. And yeah. I still think that Taysom Hill is going to play, you know, an expanded red zone role. He's going to play in some short situations, you know, on like a third and one. Like, who says they're not just going to roll Taysom Hill in there and they'll run like a, you know, like a power run just with him behind, you know, a fullback or two. You know, like, I think that that's very much in play in any short distance situation uh, and at the goal line. So, that also, I mean, takes away from Kamara, too. If Kamara is not getting a carry in the goal line, then you're, you're giving it to Taysom Hill. Uh, so I, I think that there's a lot of fluctuation there and issues with Kamara, and there definitely should be some warning signs. Um, but it, it, the upside is, is tantalizing, as you said, you know, six touchdowns in the fantasy championship la uh, last year. But I think the situation is changing a little bit. You know, I just did one of – I do too many uh, best ball drafts, underdog, FFPC, the whole bit. I did one the other night. I was in the sixth spot, Connor. So I had a choice here. Where do you go? Derrick Henry, Travis Kelsey, where do you go with that sixth spot? Let's assume, you know, that it's McCaffrey, Barkley, Dalvin Cook, 
Kamara, Ezekiel Elliott. W- would you go Henry next? Where do you go in that spot? Yeah, probably Henry at that point. I, I do think that, you know, Kelsey is obviously incredible talent and incredible player putting up, just ripping off fantasy points. But, uh, you know, Derrick Henry is going to receive all the, all the backfield work in terms of the carry standpoint. Um, you know, their offense should, uh, you know, continue to score plenty of points. Like he's just, he's not a guy that I want to bet against. So I think for me, uh, just position wise, obviously depending on your strategy and something, something we'll get into later, um, you know, from, uh, Positional standpoint, I like to pick a running, well, at least one running back in the first two rounds. And so, you know, a guy like Derrick Henry is a perfect uh, point to build your roster with. Yeah, you know, it's a perfect segue because you are on the Establish the Run podcast with Evan Silva and Adam Levitin. You guys did a great job. I listened to that one, Connor. I listened to it on a run. I listened to it in the shower. <laughs> I was all into that one. You gave a lot of information in that podcast. And I'm just curious because you talked about preseason NFL bets, right? Some of the preseason player prop bets that you're looking at. One of the ones that came up was like, it was NFL MVP. And I think they were talking about John Daigle who mentioned Nick Chubb. And the argument you guys are saying is if Derrick Henry's not going to get the MVP <laughs> when he runs for 2,000 yards, it's pretty difficult. Talk about some of the, the, the player preseason bets that you've already made so far that you like. Yeah, I mean, I, I love Daigle, but like realistically, I think that, you know, Nick Chubb would need probably like 2,000, like 2,100 yards and maybe 20, <laughs> 20 touchdowns. I don't know. I mean, like, uh, which, which I think the touchdowns are actually like firmly in his range of outcomes. I love the Browns, but, you know, there's just, there's no way he's winning MVP. Since 2010, quarterbacks have won 10 of the last 11 years. As the league continues to shift past heavy, like, it's going to be a quarterback outside of a literally record breaking season. Um, so in terms of like some preseason um, uh, bets that I've made, um, Kyle Pitts, Offensive Rookie of the Year, I actually ended up taking a stab at with Julio Jones looking like he's going to be traded. So I took that at 12-1, to 1, which is at FanDuel right now. I mean, I think that it's a near certainty at this point he's traded, which makes Pitts the number two option on a high-volume, high-efficiency offense. And I think that it's certainly in his range of outcomes to turn in the best rookie season ever for a tight end with former tight end coach Arthur Smith, now the head coach, and a very clear path to targets. Um, I totally – I get that rookie tight ends struggle from time to time and that it's not – generally, generally a good time to bet on a guy uh, as a rookie, especially at the tight end position. But 12 to 1, this is what I'm saying is when I said before, with Julio Jones being traded, this is kind of how I'm getting exposure to Kyle Pitts. Rather than taking him at like tight end 3, tight end 4, I can bet on him 12 to 1 and still gain plenty from his blow-up uh, you know, season, if he has that. Yeah, very smart. And I, you also got into some interesting ones too. Have you seen anything with uh... – passing yardage, things like that. Yeah. How has the 17-game schedule affected it? Because, of course, you can be a, a casual better and see the totals and say, oh, wait a minute, that's got to be an under, right? Because you see the numbers that have adjusted. But if you got into that at all and how the 17 games affects it, you know, could they be resting players more or could the numbers just skew higher? So books are actually not really posting too many of these right now. Points bet is posted some – um, I, I just hit a few of them. So I took actually Matthew Stafford over 26 and a half passing touchdowns. Wow. Uh, it felt really light. Uh, we haven't projected for 32. I mean, I'm extremely bullish on this Rams team in general. Great supporting cast. Best, you know, coach of his career. Um, and golf threw for more than 26 and half of the years that he was playing. And those were only in 16 games. Um, so, I mean, I think the issue, though, with taking overs in general on season-long props, oftentimes it's more of a bet on a player staying healthy rather than, you know, him actually performing up the level. But, you know, Stafford could play probably reasonably 15 games and still hit this number, in my opinion. That's a great point. The addition, too, of Deshaun Jackson. I get so frustrated because, Connor, I always take Deshaun Jackson in every best ball <laughs> draft. 
and then all of a sudden he's hurt two weeks in. But those first two weeks, man, are impressive. That's the key. And now he's got a guy right in Stafford who can get him the ball. I mean, I, I think Sean McVay's going to open up the offense here. Yeah, I also uh, I think part of his contract was like heavily injury incentivized too, so he has a lot of incentives to really work hard on staying out there. Um, and you know that doesn't always pan out. Obviously, injuries can happen, but I think that that's a good thing and a little bit different than how his previous contracts were structured. The economy is made up of real people doing real stuff, and it affects everything, which you obviously know since you're a real person doing real stuff. Marketplace is here to help you get smart about everything beyond the what of the day's business and economic news. We dig into the how and the why with the real people driving our economy. From big tech and interest rates to small businesses and what's happening at the Fed, Marketplace breaks it all down so you don't have to. Listen to Marketplace wherever you get your podcast. Do you have margaritas, Connor? And if you do, salt or no salt? The reason this came up is we had a Cinco de Mayo celebration with some neighbors, and the big debate became whether salt or no salt. I'm a salt guy. Do you have a margarita? And if so, what goes on the rim there? Oh, yeah. I love margaritas. Um, I would say that I like salt, and I think if you're feeling a little extra kick, um, tahine is great. Tahine, yes! Well. That's what we put yes. on! Oh, my goodness. This was not planned. Not on the show sheet. <laughs> no, tahine is great. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I had to add that in there. I know it's not on the show sheet, but, you know, I, I need to be uh, genuine here with what I'm saying for my margaritas. Oh, the boy, that boy. That you just told that, – that's a right hook you just gave me there. Great call. Tahine, <laughs> folks. Put it on there. Put it around the rim. Enjoy it on a hot summer day. You know, Connor, here at Rotoviz, we are zero RB fans. Uh, Sean Siegel, of course, with his with his work, longstanding works, is one of the great minds in the industry. This year, though, I'm not sure if we're trending towards modified zero RB. Now, some people say that's sort of a, a you know, a, a paradox. He gets a modified zero RB. But if you go RB first and then a bunch of wide receivers, that seems to be the strategy that I've been using for my best balls. I'm just curious, how do you think zero RB plays out? Do you like modified zero RB? Do you think that it's viable this year, either of those strategies? Yeah, definitely. So most of the leagues that I play in right now are FFPC, you know, the $350 ones or main events. I actually love the modified zero RB strategy. That has been uh, mine and my co-owner, Joe Pano, uh, who share all of our teams. I mean, we really just try and get one running back in the first two rounds. But again, like, you know, we're at the point where we're okay with going zero RB because we think it's contrarian enough that it can still pan out. We get the anti-fragile fragility aspect of it, which is obviously Sean Siegel has laid out perfectly on your guys' website. Um, and I, I mean, we're big believers in it. There's still a large contingent of high stakes individuals that will pound four or five running backs in a row to start a high stakes draft. I mean, running backs are, and this is already in addition to running backs already being way higher up draft boards. It seems like in this year and last year than, um, you know, earlier, um, before. So I think that, you know, I think it's a great strategy. I think it's very much in play. I'm not very going to force it. Um, but you know, if, if I'm able to pull it off, I think it's a great strategy. Yeah, and last year there was a lot of criticism that it was supposed to be robust RB last year, right? And Sean did it again in a lot of his leagues. A lot of the guys here at Rotoviz, Tom Kelly, Dave Cabe, and everybody there, grab those Miles Gaskins, grab those James Robinsons, right? You, they found value late in the board. So you go running back early and then grab a bunch of wide receivers and tight ends. You have a pretty – anti-fragile lineup and then you basically look to hit on those late round guys right and if you do that I think you're home free 
Yeah, exactly. And I think that doing the modified zero RB is probably my favorite because you're still getting, you know, some kind of workhorse or someone that can kind of anchor your running back spot. And then you're really just looking for to play the roulette on that RB2. And sometimes you get lucky. Sometimes you get, you know, you get James Robinson and you get a Miles Gaskin, you know, so then you're you're loaded that at that point, like even if your anchor does get injured, you're still in a good spot. And then you still have, you know, four to maybe even five strong receivers in those middle rounds um, that are capable of massive games. So that's really why what attracts me to the strategy. Let's look at ADP overvalued and undervalued. So I'm going to use underdogs ADP here. Of course, best ball season in full effect. So there's a little strategy and nuance involved. I'm asking, are these players overvalued, undervalued, or maybe even properly valued at the current ADP? I'm going to start with Jonathan Taylor. He's currently going as the RB6. Now, look, end of the season last year, I think he had four uh, RB1 performances in the last five weeks and had some pretty high-end RB performances. I'm pretty sure it was the overall RB1 in week 17, which a lot of fantasy leagues don't have. But still, the question is, Marlon Mack has returned. Is he now going to see that increased workload? He was only getting like a 50% opportunity share, uh, 50% snap share for most of the year, and then he really came on. So do you see him RB6? Where do you fall on him in PPR leagues? Yeah, so I think that RB6 is a little bit overvalued. Um, you know, I think that I would have him closer to like the RB8 range. Uh, you know, part of my issues are, are I'm not really too worried about Marlon Mack. I think that there's enough carries to pay around. Just that he doesn't get too much work in the passing game, um, and that's still what matters. I think that he can catch passes. Don't get me wrong. I'm not going to make the argument against that, you know, he can't do it. I think that he's plenty capable, and he showed that uh, last year with how efficient he was on catching the ball. But, you know, I just don't think that he's going to see the work with Naeem Hines still in the fold. Now we have Carson Wentz, at quarterback, not the check down captain, Philip Rivers, who he used to be. Um, so, yeah, I'm a little bit I'm, – I'm not entirely sold on JT, even though he does have plenty of touchdown upside. Next one, I'm going to give you both arguments. And then you tell me which one sort of clicks with your mindset. Jalen Hurts. Now, the argument is he has the Konami code. He's going to be running a ton, designed runs. They're probably going to be playing from behind. So he's going to have a lot of opportunity to put points on the board. So he's going, believe it or not, as the current QB8. Now, the counter to that is, listen, just because he runs doesn't mean he's the second coming of Lamar Jackson. They may not be very good. We're still waiting to see on Jalen Rager. They did add weapons, of course. But, like, maybe you should take a reliable guy who doesn't run like a Tom Brady, who's certainly going to have volume, over Hertz. So he's QB8. Where do you side on the upside versus the risk reward with him possibly, you know, not working out this year as quarterback for the Eagles. So I would say in terms of, you know, where his actual value is, um, I think that it's fine, but you are really embracing the risk reward. Like you're saying, um, I actually think that it can be worth it in some instances because his outcomes are very, very wide. You know, I think that he can totally bust in that instance. Um, you know, you're probably still getting some rushing floor and he's okay. You know, he's probably putting up, you know, low-end QB1 or high-end QB2 numbers. You know, you're not completely dead in the water, but his upside is massive. I mean, they bolstered their offensive line. They added Devonta Smith, and you know he's going to run. Um, so, you know, that kind of upside, I think, is definitely there. Uh, you know, I think that that's kind of the issue with just looking at median projections just in general and that most of the time he's probably finishing right around that range, you know, QB8, QB9. But does he have a QB1 season in him? Sure. And I think that that – Again, what kind of league you're playing in, if you're going to win the league, if you're looking for those top-heavy payouts, 
that's I think this is the kind of guy that you should be willing to take a risk on, even though the market sharply probably already has him properly valued. And I bet, Connor, that in redraft leagues, in seasonal leagues, he will not be going as the QB8. I think that is a best ball play. I think for the a lot of our listeners here who are playing family leagues and things like that, I do not think Jalen Hurts, for your average fantasy person, is going QB8. So you could really have little investment in Jalen Hurts for massive upside, right, in seasonal leagues? Oh, yeah, oh, absolutely. I mean, I think that if you're able to get him outside of a QB12 range, which I think is very much in play, you know, a lot of these other websites that you'll draft on will have him probably around there anyways, uh, just based on their ADP and on the draft boards, your online draft boards. So, yeah, I think if you can get him around there, I think it's a great value. Fantasy football and betting is a Bayesian process, right? So we gather new information and we don't suffer take lock. I've been on social media saying I do not understand the Kyle Pitts love at tight end four. However, when I did do his projection, I saw that if Julio Jones leaves, if they're really committed to running the offense through him and Calvin Ridley, like a Travis Kelsey, like a George Kittle, the upside is there. You talked about Pitts a little bit before with the preseason wager. Where are you now on Kyle Pitts here at tight end four? Yeah, I mean, it's Kyle Pitts is just a very polarizing player in fantasy. I was fully ready to fade him, you know, at his ADP if Julio Jones stayed. Um, I was not going to have any money on him in terms of that offensive rookie of the year. And I think that that was totally fine because you know, being third in the pecking order, uh, you know, is definitely not as exciting. But you're removing Julio Jones, who's, you know, you're probably projecting him for a 20 to 30 percent target share somewhere in that range. You're removing that from the equation. The targets have to go somewhere. And like I said earlier, you know, he's he's just set up for success to see volume in a efficient offense with a good quarterback. That is a terrible defense that's going to be playing from behind. So right now, his ADP tight end four. Uh, you know, I wasn't expecting to say this, but I think that that's actually fine. Um, and I think that he's actually set up in a good situation where, you know, I'm, I don't think that he's going to finish as a tight end one. I'm not sure that he can get over the hump of beating a Darren Wall or beating a Travis Kelsey, but he can certainly outperform, uh, you know, many of the other guys at the position who are, you know, the tight end position is mostly a joke after the top six guys, at least it has been the past few years. It's been just incredibly difficult to project. And the last one here for ADP overvalued, undervalued. I love to zig when other people zag. I know in your betting analysis you do as well. Clyde Edwards-Hilaire burned a lot of people. I mean, I forget who it was. One of the major analysts there was saying that he was last year going to be the number one pick overall in fantasy. I mean, did not reach that level, just didn't get the touchdowns, right? I feel like in that first game, Connor, he got stopped five times inside the five-yard line, and that was it. He was not going to be scoring that much, but he was used, and he's a great pass catcher, and the Chiefs don't have Sammy Watkins anymore. So I'm curious, Clyde Edwards-Hilaire, RB15, where do you fall on him? Yeah, I think he's a little bit undervalued just because of, um, you know, like the perception of him. I mean, I think that right now, you know, last year he was like a fringe first-round pick by the end of the year, uh, mid-second-round pick. At this point, you know, I'm willing to take him there again and just kind of double down. It's all the same argument that we had last year. And now he has less competition for touches. Uh, I mean, the upside of the offense, touchdown upside is there if he can find his way into the end zone, actually. You know, but I think a lot of that's kind of luck. You know, I don't really think that that's too much of was always his uh, fault. So, and now bolstering the offensive line. I mean, that's a huge yeah. deal for this Chiefs team. Uh, I like, I think that they could seriously come back with a vengeance and CEH can be, you know, has just extraordinary upside. 
give me two things that you can't wait to do now that we're coming out of COVID. I feel like, you know, a country is starting to get back to normal, the vaccines. We see fans attending games. Uh, I have friends in the NBA who are excited to open up the doors again, get some home court advantage. Give me uh, one thing or two that you're really excited to do now that we're finally out of this quarantine. Oh, yeah. Thank God. So I'm actually uh, pumped to go to Vegas for the main event this year. Oh. Uh, my co-owner and I, Joe, are both going. Yeah, oh, yeah. I'm, I'm stoked. Uh, that'll be you know a couple months here right before the season. So I, I couldn't be more excited. Oh, my God. Vegas must be crazy. I mean, it must just be an opportunity. You got you have a hotel. You have picked a hotel out. Do you have a place that you're staying or you just you just go and you figure it out when you get there? No, yeah, well, I'm sure we'll we'll book some stuff coming up here, you know, but now with everything opening up, like the numbers continuing to trend, trend better, you know, I think we're going to start making some moves here and probably, you know, get ourselves hooked up. I'm not sure about a penthouse or anything, but we'll probably get a decent room. <laughs> oh, after you win some bets, my friend, you go down and count some cars at Blackjack, you'll be in the penthouse before you know it. Win totals, over-unders here. You gave some great insight, of course. You're right at the forefront here with these win totals. I made a couple wagers myself. I'm just curious ones you like, ones you don't like. Let's start with the ones you like. I'm, I'm big on Denver this year uh, on the over. I think they're going to be really good. Who are some teams here that you like for their over here with a preseason win total? Yeah, so a team that I actually just wrote up here, the Washington football team, mm-hmm. you can still find that at uh, eight wins. I mean, minus 130 at FanDuel. They replaced uh, Ronald Darby with William Jackson at cornerback. They were already uh, fourth in passing EPA allowed last season, and their, their rushing defense was strong. They were top 10 unit on the offensive line by the end of the season. Uh, and they kept building on that, traded for Eric Flowers, signed Charles Leno, drafted Sam Cosby in the second round. Um, and this is already building on two guys who had top 10 PFF grades on the offensive line in Brandon Scherf and Chase Roulier. And obviously the biggest acquisition, Ryan Fitzpatrick. I mean, they were dealing with league-bottom quarterback play last year, and they were still able to win seven games in uh, a 16-game season. Now you have a season that's 17 games. You're really just asking them to be above average. Um, and I don't think that that's, that's bad at all. Also, I think that they can win the division plus 300, uh, is very much in play. So yeah, I, the Washington football team for me, definitely a team to bet the over on. If you can still find eight, even eight and a half. Do you tend to stay away from the big numbers? I, I have people who are always asking me, you know, the chiefs over under this year. Remember the Patriots were always beating that over under number 11 and a half. They win 12, 12 and a half. Sometimes it's crazy. They win 13. Do you shy away from big numbers there for overs or it has to be the, you know, really the right situation? Yeah. I just think it has to be the right situation. Like if I'm really, really excited about a team, but this year in particular with the 17 game season, I I'm taking a little bit of a wait and see approach on these uh, bigger teams. Like there's a chance that some of the, one of these teams, has everything locked up and they can't move, you know, position wise. And what if they rest guys for the last two games? You know, like what if that, or a game and a half? Um, and, you know, that could totally throw a wrench in, you know, your win total. And they, you know, they ended up winning whatever, 13 games or 12 games. And then they know they can't, there's like not enough movement either way. I think there's just a next level of strategy as more games are added. So uh, for me, I'm not really taking too many of the uh, high win total overs right now. Is there some unders that you like? The ones that jumped out right away, you know, Dan Campbell's speech, the biting of the kneecaps, the whole thing. I think Goff getting away from Sean McVay is going to be like the emperor's clothes a little bit. Their receivers are terrible. They do have a great offensive line, and the defensive line is solid. But Detroit under, I think it was five I got it at, was one that jumped out. Of course, the Texans are a disaster. Any unders here that uh, jumped out right away that you sort of like? Yeah, no, I mean, I, I love that uh, Lions under win, five wins. I've, I've talked about this, you know, a bunch on some different podcasts, but for all the reasons you said, only thing I add to there, uh, add to that would be, you know, some look ahead lines came out from the Westgate Superbook. Uh, the Lions are not favored in a single game. Uh, and to make things even more impressive, uh, 11 of their games, 
they're an underdog by a touchdown or more. Oh uh, they're just two games as an underdog as a field goal or closer. So, like, there's, like, two toss-up games. Uh, and even those, I mean, that's against Philly and Cincinnati, who I think are just better teams. Like, those are teams with upward trajectories. Um, so, yeah, I, don't, I would not surprise me at all if the Lions are the worst team in the league. Uh, I actually, you know, put 20 bucks on them being uh, 0-17 at, like, 100-1 to when it opened at DraftKings. Or eighty to one at DraftKings, and I thought that that was just a little fun play, fun shot. But I think it's definitely in the range of outcomes. Yeah, I agree with you on the lines. Totally. You got one more here for us. Yeah. So I also like the Raiders under seven and a half Ooh. wins. Um, I think that the hook there is a little bit important, though. They have the hardest strength of schedule in the league, uh, using opponent win totals, and they're only favored in five games next season. I mean, looking at their draft, they they once again whiffed overdrafting players. You know, Alex Leatherwood was a fringe first round pick, and they picked him seventeenth overall. Um, but they, the big news is they lost three of their five starting offensive linemen, which was actually a big strength for them. Um, and then they ended up signing Colton Miller to a big contract and keeping the, you know, the psycho himself, Richie Incognito, <laughs> who's 38 years old. Um, so, yeah, I, I mean, their defense dead last in run DEPA, 27th in pass DEPA last year. I mean, they didn't do a ton to address this. If that doesn't take a step forward, uh, even with the addition of Yannick Ngakwe, like I think that the under here, they, their floor is extremely low. Um, and their ceiling I don't think is that high. So I think that they're more of a, you know, 7-10 and 10 team or a 6-11 and 11 team. It feels weird to say that, but I think that's more of where they're at. I took a shot this year. I actually entered the uh, predicting the NFL draft contest for the first time. I did okay. I had six matches and had 28 players, I think, in the first round. But the Alex Leatherwood pick was is not <laughs> anywhere in my range of outcomes. I think a lot of people were scratching their heads. Even Josh Norris, who killed it, had a, a fantastic mm-hmm. there uh, draft. I mean, I think everybody's like Leatherwood. I mean, I think people saw second round maybe, but it was early. I mean, the Raiders, they continue to befuddle us, right? When they make these draft picks, you never know what the Raiders are going to do. We should have expected this after they picked Cullen Farrell, like fourth uh, overall, yeah. you know, when no one even had him projecting the top 10. <laughs> that was just, I mean, that was worse than this probably, but I don't know, man. This was just weird, too. The, the only noise you hear after their pick at home is people going like this. They just start looking through their papers to find the, find the player. <laughs> Time for redraft lightning round. Give me the player that you prefer here. I'll give you two choices. Half point PPR, let's say, at their current ADP. DeAndre Swift or J.K. Dobbins? You have Swift with the Lions, of course. Like we said, could be a lot of passing, a lot of opportunities for him to catch passes. J.K. Dobbins on a really solid Ravens team that has Super Bowl aspirations, but Gus the Bus is there. Who do you like better? Swift is going one spot higher right now. So just to be transparent, I probably won't have much of either. Um, But, you know, uh, if I had a gun to my head, I'd probably say Swift just because he catches passes. Um, And I think that there's plenty of chance for negative game script, as we talked about with that being behind. So probably Swift. J.J. Zacharyson always talks about going to, you know, crowded backfields to get an ambiguous backfields to get your sleepers. So I'm going to ask you here, two rookie RBs that could really come into play maybe early or even later in the year. Javante Williams out there in Denver, Melvin Gordon. I thought he was going to get cut, but I don't think so anymore. Or Trey Sermon out in San Francisco. Raheem Mostert is still there. Who do you prefer out of those two rookie running backs? Yeah, so I think in in best ball, I'm a little bit of a cop out here. Uh, best ball, Trey Sermon, I think is is good because the um, just like the amount that Kyle Shanahan feeds the hot hand, you're just and you're not going to know which week it's going to be that Trey Sermon is going to get 15 carries and you know the other guys are going to get Raheem Mostert's going to get eight. 
Um, but, you know, in best ball, that's perfect. That's totally fine because you'll get those spike weeks. In redraft, in main event leagues, I prefer Javante Williams. I think that he has more standalone upside um, and that, you know, there's more likely for the Broncos to kind of ride him just from day one. I think he should have a solid role anyways. And if you are going modified zero RB and you're looking for late veterans who people really aren't interested in, I'll go to, to one before we just mentioned Gus Edwards. Or now James Conner in Arizona. I don't think they trust Trace Edmonds at the goal line. So I think Conner could be used. But is he used enough to pick him over Gus Edwards? That's my question. Yeah, I'd, I'd probably go Gus Edwards. I think he's the, I think he's 1B to Dobbins 1A. And I think that that was true based on the post-Mark Ingram usage and that we're going to see a little bit closer splits there, even though, yeah, I think Gus Edwards probably. And final one, Tyler Boyd or Juju Smith-Schuster. Both of them looking as sort of the – Third option in passing offense is Tyler Boyd now. Of course, Jamar Chase is there, T. Higgins, but he's Mr. Reliable over the middle. Juju Smith-Schuster in Pittsburgh burned a lot of people, including myself, last year. He comes back on on a prove-it deal. Boyd is currently going three spots higher at wide receiver 34. So Boyd at wide receiver 34 or Juju wide receiver 37. Yeah, I'll take Tyler Boyd. I think that I'll probably have plenty of exposure to him. I think that his chances as a fringe wide receiver two slash three in PPR leagues and even half PPR leagues. Bengals play a ton of 11 personnel. I think the chase actually helps open up things more underneath for him. Um, and, you know, he kind of looked like security blanket for uh, Joe Burrow last year, who uh, it seems like is on track to play, you know, week one and be, you know, close to normal. Whereas Juju, um, you know, might play more outside, which I actually think is not good for him as a guy who's actually largely been better in the slot outside of his probably increased dot on playing on the outside. Yeah, you know what's funny with Juju is is last year people were very high on him coming in. You know, of course, has all the stuff on social media, very popular. And then all of a sudden you look up and, he, and he's sort of down in the pecking order. But, Connor, he did last year. He did have 97 receptions. It's just that his receiving yardage was 831 receiving yards. <laughs> ranked seventh in receptions, Juju Smith-Schuster, 36th in receiving yards. For a guy that played 16 games, very odd, no? Yeah, and I was a definitely big on Juju last year, but I just didn't think that Ben's arm would fall off. I didn't think that they would have, be having him run, you know, like just crossing routes two yards away from the line of scrimmage like the entire game. You know, I thought they'd at least kind of having some run some deeper stuff, you know, out of the slot. But if your quarterback can't throw that far, then, you know, it's kind of an issue. If you were on fear factor, what's the one thing that you'd say, no way? I see the buried alive and you have to get out. The one that I struggle with is going in a box of snakes. That would not be high on my list. Even if you gave me Super Bowl tickets the rest of my life, what's the one thing on Fear Factor you'd say, you know what, I can't do it? That's funny you said box of snakes. So mine's actually like a box of spiders. So I saw one where the guy had to stick his head in a box of tarantulas uh, for three minutes and try and not move. I mean, there's just straight up no shot I even, like, get in there. Like, I'm not putting my head in there. Just no shot. Uh, We should do a fear factor here on Rotoviz with all all the analysts. I have a feeling that Sean (laughs) will win that one again. I I, I don't know. I'd I'd be done. That's for sure. The AFC North always challenged to predict, and I think it's interesting to look at this division because normally you eliminate the Browns and Bengals. That's what we've done for the last decade, right? But now you look at the Browns and Bengals. Browns are really solid, talking about them making the Super Bowl. Bengals, of course, Burrow comes back, has an explosive offense. And now I want to focus on the Ravens and the Steelers. So here's the thing. You have the Steelers, Ben at QB, he's aging. Article came out today, talk about how his entire entire elbow had to be reconstructed. That's certainly not good. And then, of course, the Ravens receiving game. Let's start with Pittsburgh. How do you project Pittsburgh win total example, how they're going to do this year with Ben there, a quarterback looking for one more run because they usually are solid. But I'm starting to look, Connor, I don't know if they're not the third best team in their own division now. 
Yeah, I think they are. Uh, I mean, I think that they should take a step back. Their win total is actually eight and a half. I mean, well below the Browns and Ravens, who are both at 10 or above. Uh, ben looked really dusty down the road, kind of like we mentioned previously. Um, their line didn't improve enough to take the heat off him. And with a running game, I mean, they're, they drafted a running back, congrats. But you know, I don't think that that's going to do too much to their running game, or at least enough so that Ben doesn't have to throw a bunch. And their defense lost a few key players, so they won't be as dominant either. In a strong division, the second toughest overall strength of schedule using opponent win totals. I mean, this I think that they're actually priced appropriately at eight wins or eight and a half wins in terms of the market. But, I mean, I think that they could very easily win seven. They could very easily be a losing team this year. So I, I think that the you know the Browns and the Ravens are clear clear favorites in this division in my mind. And then looking at the Ravens, of course, we look at their offense. Marquise Brown very disappointing last year, except for those couple games at the end of the year where he caught a, a fourth quarter passes to hit his over prop. By the way, in receiving yards, thank you very much, Marquise. But it's been a a tough run for him so far. Did not establish himself as the wide receiver one. He's diminutive. He had the screws in his foot after the first year. We expected a big year. Now they have Sammy Watkins who really has not had consistency, even with Patrick Mahomes, and they draft Rashad Bateman. So I'm curious, where do you think the pecking order is in the Ravens receiving game? We know they're going to be run heavy, but someone has to step up, and Mark Andrews doesn't seem to get the volume of a Kelsey or a Kittle. So I feel like there is value here. Maybe Marquise Brown bounces back, but I'm kind of going somewhere else. Where do, what do you think about the Ravens passing game? Yeah, so we have it projected. Uh, Rashad Bateman is like kind of like the clear number one, you know, in, yes. like the, and yes. then Marquise Brown, number two, Watkins, number three, kind of in that order, uh, the pecking order. I mean, I, I didn't think Watkins looked good either. I think that, I mean, I'm not saying that he's entirely, you know, out of gas, but I think he's pretty close. Um, and you know, Marquise, I'm just not sure he can be reliable. I think that he could be efficient. Um, and I think that, again, maybe a, a better in best ball type of player. Um, but, you know, I don't really see him being a weekly guy that you want to bet on in redraft leagues. You talked about some long shot bets here, which I thought were fascinating. I think I hit rewind while I'm in the shower. I almost electrocuted myself. But give me some long shot bets you had here for the NFL that you think could actually come out. You mentioned a couple that I thought were fantastic. Yeah, so uh, I'll give you a few here. The first one, uh, I know that it's really long. It's uh, I bet Kyle Trask at 100-1 to to win Rookie of the Year at FanDuel. I mean, again, this is a really, really long shot. But, you know, Brady, who's in his mid-40s, like pretty much the oldest starting quarterback in NFL history, gets injured at all. I think that the supporting cast is there for Kyle Trask to make a run at this award. He's also already received praise from Bruce Arians. So I think that he's a backup quarterback heading into the season. I mean, God forbid anything happens to Brady after – I mean, even if he plays half the season, like I think that Trask is reasonable to like still win this award if he actually plays well, given the supporting cast, which I think he should. So um, at 100 to 1, like again, I know it's thin, but put like 0.1 units on it, like a tenth of a unit or a quarter of a unit, you know, like something like that, that if it does pay off, you'll look, you know, you'll you'll be featured on all of these like Bleacher Report um, betting <laughs> accounts and Action Network will be tweeting you about. Maybe you'll get a Ravel shout out there. Yeah, Ravel, um, <laughs> yes, yes. Uh, but yeah, so that's, that's one that I like. Um, a one that's a little bit less, uh, to a tongue of I low at 60 to one to win MVP. I think that his range of outcomes are really high when betting the MVP. You want to bet on a guy with a high win total, a guy that's going to be on a, a team that can win and, um, plays the quarterback position, you know, uh, sorry, Daigle again, you know, going to apologize there. Um, <laughs> but, uh, you know, they, they added, uh, Jalen Waddle, they added Will Fuller, um, they still have Devontae Parker and Tua Tungvalu, another year removed from his injuries. Their offensive line is still a little bit shaky, but 
he was playing with guys who could do nothing but separate at Alabama, and he looked fantastic. He was a great downfield passer. And now, you know, last year he had only Devontae Parker, who can't separate for his life. You know, that's just kind of who he is as a player. He's a lot better of a jump ball receiver and, like, kind of deep threat or to intermediate. But now you have Jalen Waddle, now you have Will Fuller, guys who can do nothing but run away from other people. So I think that it's worth a shot at 60-1 to 1 and anything over 50-1 to 1 for sure. You know, that's a great call with Tua. In 2018, Connor, everyone talked about how he's the next great quarterback there at Alabama. He dominates. 2019, he goes out, gets off to a great start, right? 33 touchdowns, three interceptions through nine games. I mean, just an incredible pace. He gets hurt. And then right up to the draft that year, people were saying they're going to go Justin Herbert, Miami, over Tua. And then at the last second, something came out and the odds flipped, right? That's when you know you're toasted when you're doing draft picks, right? Oh, yeah. oh, yeah. You're betting on draft. <laughs> the odds flipped that he had a clear bill of health. Fitzpatrick starts. They make the move. I mean, the guy came back quickly from an injury. Like you said, he did not have a ton of weapons. Miles Gaskin in the back in the backfield. Salvin Ahmed yeah. was there. I mean, he didn't really have a ton. And this year, he's that's a great call. I feel like recency bias is setting in with Tua, no? He was a really hot quarterback that people thought was going to be the number one overall pick. And now, all of a sudden, he's getting overly, really criticized for what happened last year, I think. Yeah, I mean, it, I mean, he didn't have a good season. You know, there's no getting around that. But now, if we kind of, like, take a step back and look at the, the bigger picture of everything, you know, I think that just the range of outcomes here for a player like him is – is just really wide. You know, I think that they can be very, the Dolphins can very well be like an average team if he doesn't play well, but if he does play well, I mean, I think that they can be a great team. I think that they can win the division. I think that they could, you know, and that would largely be on the back of the defense and him, uh, you know, probably hitting his web, his new weapons. And uh, I mean, Will Fuller has been perennially underrated as long as he can stay on the field in some instance. And Jalen Waddle would have, I mean, been in, in play here, uh, instead of Jamar Chase, I think if he had been healthier too, as well, he was the number one receiver on Alabama, Prior to his injury, you know, he was ahead of Devonta Smith and outperforming him. So. And let's not forget with Will Fuller. I mean, one, two, three, four, five, six, six consecutive games with a touchdown. Wide receiver nine, wide receiver three performances. Wide receiver two, week 12, before he went out there. So let's remember that he is certainly – he is certainly a, a legitimate, legitimate option. Just a, a great player in Will Fuller if he's out there. Connor, this has been amazing. Fantastic stuff as always. One more question, then we will get you out of here. With all the, the analysis that you do, the knowledge from both the wagering side and the fantasy side, which I think is great. It really is can illustrate value if you can combine both worlds, which you can. I want the Connor Allen bold prediction for the 2021 season. Something you think in the fantasy world that's a little out there. You gave us Kyle Trask with a great argument, by the way. What do you think is something that could happen here in fantasy in 2021 oh man this is this is tough because it's so early but i'll go out on a limb here and you know i kind of i bashed this earlier in the in uh the episode but nick chubb overall rb1 20 rushing touchdowns oh Um, wow 1600 yards 20 rushing touchdowns still does not win mvp but the browns win 14 15 games and nick chubb has 20 touchdowns there it is. You're making me feel guilty. I'm passing on Nick Chubb in the second round of my FFPC best ball last night. Connor Allen, folks, amazing work here at 4 for 4, the Move the Line podcast. Got to listen to it with him and Ryan Noonan. Follow him on Twitter at Connor Allen NFL. Great stuff. Great mind. Connor, this flew by bad, and it was an honor to have you on here to kick off the road of his mailbag season for 2021. We'll definitely have you on again soon. Yeah, really appreciate it, and always great to talk some football ahead of the season. Thank you for listening to Rotoviz Radio. Please rate and review the podcast on iTunes under the Fantasy Football Mailbag, a Rotoviz Radio feed. 
Contact us via email, rotavizradio at gmail.com. We'd love to hear what you think, so follow us on Twitter at rotavizradio and at randallrant. Make sure you tell a friend, and don't forget to sign up for a 10% discount on our podcast homepage, rotaviz.com forward slash podcast. It's a no-brainer, folks. Thanks for tuning in.